Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Hi, Josh. Hi, Chuck. I'm Chuck. Big Chuck. Hi, Josh. This could arguably be the worst intro we've ever recorded. Chuck, what do you think? Maybe. All right. But let's not do it again. Yeah, I like no, this. No, let's keep it raw and fresh, baby. Okay, so uh, Chuck, say toy boat three times fast now. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. That actually, that last one, when you correct yourself, that was pretty good. But the point is, you can't, you're not supposed to correct yourself. You want to hear me do it? Yeah. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. I can't do it. You just went into Tibet. It kind of. But Jerry, our producer, actually did it a few minutes ago when you were out of the room yeah. doing your push-ups like you do between podcasts. <laughs> it gets me pumped, Chuck. Yeah. She did yeah. it on the first try. And she's like, what's the big deal? Jerry does everything perfectly. Yeah. Um, but most people can't. I've never been able to say toy boat three times fast. It's a tongue twister. It is. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And did you know, Chuck, that uh, it's assumed that tongue, t- tongue, see? Yeah. Yeah, baby. Uh, tongue twisters are universal. Yes, they are. I did not know that until we did a little research. All right. So you, you have some from uh, foreign lands? I do. I want to hear some because I, I don't know any. I found a Chinese one, and uh-huh. there was actually like an MP3, maybe MP4, that uh, of this Chinese tongue twister. I was like, I'm not going to the trouble of learning that. Well, I will do my best. I have two <laughs> J- Japanese tongue twisters nice. in their uh, translation. So the first one is uh, Kairu Pioko Pioko, Mi Pioko Pioko, Awas- Awasate Pioko Pioko Mu Pioko Pioko. <laughs> that is a tongue twister. It is. What, it, what does it mean? It translated loosely means take two sets of three frog croaks, mm-hmm. add them together, and they make six frog croaks. Beautiful. You like that? Yeah. And here's another That's one. That's just from, a word to the wise. It is. It's yeah. good. Word, uh, words to the wise. I like that. <laughs> and here's another one from Japan. It is Kono Kugiwa Hikinuki Niki Kugida. And that means the nail, this nail is hard to pull out. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you, you can kind of see how uh, maybe a tongue twister in Japanese doesn't really translate into a tongue twister you know, in English. True, but Clearly. does she sells seashells down by the seashore? That's kind of silly, too. It is. But this nail is hard to pull out. It's more of like a... Um, that's a statement. You're right. You know, seashells, right. seashells, seashells, seashells. Right. Yeah. It's descending into silliness. So, uh, so basically, Chuck... Um, It's becoming increasingly apparent that as far as tongue twisters go, I have what you might call a uh, phonological disorder. Wow. You heard of these? I have. Okay. Well, I'll tell everybody else about it. You just sit there quietly, okay? Okay. So a phonological disorder is basically... it's it's any time where you're developing in such a way that you aren't pronouncing certain phonemes. And a phoneme, if you'll remember correctly, when we were you know back in second or third grade, there was hooked on phonics. Remember, uh-huh. hooked on phonics worked for me. Right. Okay. So instead of a phonic, it's actually called a phoneme technically, but it's the same thing like b, oi, boy. Right. Right? Those are two phonemes, two separate phonemes. Right. And they're the way we pronounce words. And we learn how to um, how to pronounce different words uh, phonetically. Uh, that's that's how we learn to read, usually. Right. Um, and that's also how we learn to communicate. Now, if that development doesn't happen properly, mm-hmm. um, you can end up with a phonological disorder. Right. Is that a speech impediment? Uh, yeah, that's another way to put it. But um, a speech impediment could also include stuttering, which is not a, pho- a phonological or a, a, yeah, a phonological disorder. Right. Um, it's actually it's extraneous. But um, 
it, this is specifically with the pronunciation of a phoneme, right? Right. So let's say uh, you didn't really get the g sound. You're going to have that apostrophe after the N and an I-N-G, like nothing right. or something, right? True. And that's actually a sign that you may have a phonological disorder when you leave them off at the end especially or when you substitute one for another. Right. Sarah Palin. Give me an example. Well, that there was just kind of the common joke was that she never pronounced anything with a G on the end yeah. of it. Yeah. But I think that was just more colloquial. I think so, too, and I think it was very, very uh, well-studied colloquialisms. Indeed. Yeah, so, um, that the, so the phonological disorder thing, apparently uh, anywhere from 7 to 10% of 5-year-olds have one. Really? Yeah, and uh, it, can, it can be really, you know, like leaving the G off the end of a word. Right. Uh, it's kind of mild. Um, or it can be incredibly severe where no one understands a word you're saying, including your family. Right. Like you just, you, you're essentially not making sense. Even though you know what you want to say, you're just, you, no one can understand you, so therefore, what's the point of communicating, right? right? So that's severe, not like when you hear like a little kid say, my shoulder holts. Yeah, well, actually, that that's part of development too. That's that. That's either either they have a phonological disorder or they're still working out the kinks, right? Or their shoulder holds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and there's two there's two causes for phonological disorders, right? right? Well, actually, there's three. The third one is just beyond cryptic. The first one is structural, okay. right? Where your your brain isn't structurally developed in the the normal way, and therefore there's there's something missing. Um, there's some neurons aren't connected. There's there's something that's that's structurally different about your brain that's going to keep you from being able to say certain phonemes. Okay. The other is neurological, where your um, your nervous system isn't finely tuned quite enough to be able to really get the the real polished phonemes like right. je, like a zh sound or something like that. Right. So you'd have trouble speaking French, I would say. Probably. <laughs> uh, and the the third one. Just scares me. It's um, uh, uh, it's a phonological disorder of indeterminate origin. Ooh. Basically, we have no idea. Okay. And the reason we have no idea is because we aren't entirely certain how we speak, what how we hear, how we speak. We okay. we don't know. Did you know that? I did not know that. Well, give me something you got. Well, I thought you were going to talk about the tongue. Oh, yeah. We'll get to the tongue. Okay. Is now a good time? I think now's a great time. Okay. Well, the tongue is actually, as everyone knows, very important to your speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and taste. And taste, obviously. Uh, the tongue is connected to uh, the base of your mouth uh, by a piece of tissue, a vertical piece of tissue. Yeah, what's it called? I, everyone wants to know that, and now we know. It's That's called the lingual uh, franalum. Is that how you would pronounce it? I guess. I know we constantly butcher pronunciations. I feel bad the, for it. The lingual frangulum. That's frangulum. what I went with. Okay. I yeah. like that. Thanks. And that's what the little thing is called. Um, if yours is too short, uh, you you may get a speech impediment because yeah. of that. Because your tongue has to have a certain amount of movement right. to be able to, to carry out, to produce these phonemes, right? Right. But you can have it corrected. There are actually surgeries yeah, to- A little uh, bit of snip. Yeah, a little snip here and you, a tuck there. You might as well talk about putting bamboo shoots under your fingernails when I think of, like, snipping the lingual frenulum. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, the tongue has a lot to do with how you pronounce things, and so it, <laughs> it, has, have, it has everything to do with it. So you know? if you have a problem with the, with the frenulum there, then you're going to have some issues with your speech. And I imagine there's probably an opposite disorder uh, to where you're maybe lacking a lingual frenulum and your tongue just kind of lolls around in your mouth. Interesting. <laughs> maybe you have like a, a very little control over it. Right. I would think that would produce a speech impediment as well. But you just made that up, right? I did, but you know that somebody Someone somewhere out there has that problem, right? Yeah. And if you do, send us an email. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> so, okay, Chuckers, um, you want to get back to the brain part? Uh, sure. Because really, your tongue's not doing anything on its own. It's obeying your brain. True. Right? So it all comes back to the brain, essentially, doesn't it? It always does. Um, so th- there's this guy who, in the 1960s, his name is Al Lieberman. I think he was a Yaley. Um, right. And he came up with this thing called the motor theory of speech perception. Okay? okay. And basically, this theory said that to produce speech, we use the same areas of the brain that we, that we use to hear, to listen, right? So it's like a mimicking type of thing? It Basically, what this guy's point was is that w- when we hear something, we hear it like we're speaking it, right? Okay. Maybe we cut it into phonemes, um, but the, it's it's basically the reverse process, right? which actually a lot of people bought into for, for many, many years, and then it kind of fell out of favor in the 80s, right? Right. But then uh, almost as soon as it fell out of favor, favor some, some studies started coming around that actually supported it, and now it's gaining strength again, especially since the advent of the MRI. Right. But you want to tell them about that 1982 study that really kind of suggests that we do hear the same way we speak? Right. The Haber and Haber study, as I yeah, like to call I it. I can't figure out if they're brother and sister. I assume they're probably husband and wife. But Ralph, Ralph and Lynn, and Lynn. Haber. Yeah. Yeah, they did a, some uh, research, and what, what they did was they got some uh, college-aged uh, subjects and had them in silently read sentences that had tongue twisters. Right. And then they also had them uh, a control group who... Uh, I'm sorry, the control group was a different sentence that did not have right. a tongue twister. Just a regular sentence, right? Yeah. So they found out that it took longer to read, to silently read the tongue twisters than it did uh, for the sentences that, that did not contain them. Right. And these were all fully developed um, college-age test subjects. Right. And so if if we aren't using the same process in reverse... We shouldn't have any trouble silently reading a tongue twister. Correct. But it suggests that we we read by breaking things up into phonemes, uh-huh. just like we do when we're speaking, right? right? Which would suggest that the um, the motor theory of speech uh, is, is correct. Right, which I agree with because I, I looked up some, some cool tongue twisters, and I have to read them slower in my head than I, just like I would when I say them. Right. Like what? Well, uh, there's one, I believe it's the Guinness, uh, holds the Guinness record for being, and I, I can barely get through this one, for being the most difficult tongue twister. And that is... How do you quantify that I don't into know. a world record? Well, we'll have to ask Guinness about okay. that. It is the sixth sick sheeks, six sheeps sick. <laughs> I can hardly get through that. So, the sixth six... I can't even say it. <laughs> can I try? Yeah, it's, it's at the top there. Okay, so the sixth... Sick sheeks, six sheeps, sick. Uh, Man, that's pretty good. Thank you. I just overcame the world record holder for toughest tongue twister. That's impressive. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, and there's also something called spoonerisms. Did you look into that? No, huh? Uh, spoonerism is when there's a transposition of, it's usually an initial sound, of two or more words. 
So, for instance, tons of soil versus sons of toil. That's a spoonerism, and it's and it's actually a lot of times they're designed. People make up a spoonerism that will get you to say a curse word by accident. Like I C U P. No, not exactly. More like uh, I'm not a pheasant plucker. I'm the pheasant plucker's mate, and I'm only plucking pheasants because the pheasant plucker's late. So if someone I got gotcha. said that fast enough, they might accidentally say a bad word. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So that's a spoonerism. We'll have to try that later once it's you know off. The, right. The, the recording button is off. And interestingly, I also found out there there are also sign language uh, t- uh, twisters, and they call those finger fumblers. I wow. How about that? I didn't tell you that one. That is I? so. That's a that's a sign language spoonerism. Uh, a sign language uh, tongue twister, and I did not find any. I tried to research and find some. Mm-hmm. So if anyone out there knows of any sign language finger fumblers, we'd love to hear about it. Well, that's pretty interesting. Um, actually, that kind of leads us back to the whole toy boat thing. Right. Um, it, as it turns out, like there's no definitive answer for why it's tough for us to say toy boat, right? Yeah. Whether it's it's physical, like the tongue can't move fast enough. You just said it funny and saying it Toy one boat, time. Yeah. yeah. I'm from Ohio, and uh, right. sometimes you can hear that every once in a while. Okay. Um, and uh, so we don't know if it's if it's physical, like the tongue's just incapable. Right. Like we found a, a couple of phonemes that we can string together that the tongue doesn't move fast enough to say it three times fast, or if it's a brain glitch, right? Right. If, we, if there are finger, what are they called? Uh, finger fumbler. Finger fumblers. Even though you're producing language, you're moving your fingers. True. So I would imagine you're using a different region of the brain for that. Yeah. Or maybe an additional region of the brain. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we don't, we can't say for certain whether it's the brain or the tongue that's responsible. And it could be the tongue. Think about it. Toy boat. Right. Right? Um, the going from the oi. Like the tongue is at the bottom of your mouth, uh-huh. boy, yeah. to boat, your your tongue has to go back up and kind of click on the sides along right. your molars. True. That may be just something that it can't do very quickly. Right. Or it could be, you know, your uh, your motor system in your in your um, brain is not working correctly. Right. These things really frustrate me. Um, I don't know if it's a little kid in me uh, from class coming out, but any anything like this or anytime someone... Uh, you know, the rub your stomach and pat your head or any of those physical things with yeah. them, basically where you trick your brain. Right. I hate those. Do you? Why? Because you just, can't do them? Yeah, it reduces me to, I feel like, you know, to like the single-celled organism. I just can't work it out. Well, don't feel too bad, Chuck, because I have one fast fact for you. What's that? That I think you're going to feel better about. Okay. The average speaker only makes about one error for every thousand words spoken. Really? And I would say you're above average, so don't feel too bad. That I have more or below average? <laughs> below average. Well, there's my one. Right. Yeah. I think if you counted up the mistakes that I make in a podcast, it would be much higher than that. But I think that's a little different than normal speaking conversation. Okay. I feel the pressure. Well, uh, if you guys out there want to see the word lingual frannulum, and by word, of course, I mean words. There's two for me. Um, you can type in, uh, why can't you say toy boat in our search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. But first... Before we let you go, don't go anywhere yet, because we have listener mail. Yes, Josh, we have listener mail. Uh, yes. This was uh, just one piece of mail from our fan, uh, Lila Feldman. And Lila's writing in about our What to Do with a Dead Body episode. Yeah, I love that one. She does, too, but she had a little bit of a problem with it. Okay. And so we're going to read this, because I don't want people to think we just cherry-pick, you know, the kudos. 
to ourselves. No, we definitely don't. So she writes in and says that uh, I was a little disappointed with the recent podcast because you didn't mention some older and more traditional ways of burial that can be considered green, Mm -hmm. which is a very good point. Uh, For instance, uh, Jewish burial, uh, traditionally, someone was just wrapped in a shroud and put in the ground. And then that eventually evolved to a pine box. Right. But that would have been an old school way to have a green burial, traditional Jewish burial. It makes sense. It does. Yeah. And another method, uh, which no one uses nowadays, uh, that's popular in Roman times till around the Turkish Empire, is to just bury the body as is in the ground, wait for the flesh to decompose, and then dig out the bones. And then you usually put those bones in a catacombs uh, or taken with a family. Uh, when they were trying to like escape a tyrant or go on vacation, mm-hmm. even they would take these bones. Or it works really good for a nice soup. Yeah, a nice consomme. Yeah. So that was from uh, Lila Feldman, and we appreciate Lila writing in. And I'm sure there were all sorts of ancient ways of dealing with dead bodies that we failed to consider. So we, we kind of had a modern take on it. but Right, we just get so frantically caught up in the green movement that right. you know, we just keep looking forward, looking forward, not right. looking backwards. There's a lot of answers if you look back, I bet. And if you'd like to take Chuck and I to task in a very puritanical manner, you can send an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?